Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So I was hoping for this episode today we could go deep. Yeah, I'm feeling a little blue today, though. I don't know. (laughs) We're going to talk about deep blue and chess and uh, other stuff. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So hey, as thank I'm, you. Oh, sorry. I, sorry. <laughs> Ooh, we're off to a rough start. Thank you for not uh, mocking my horrible intro. Instead, you just rolled with it. I feel good. I've gotten I've gotten good at that uh, as time goes <laughs> on. Before we before we dig into this, a brief aside, yeah. a history lesson. So it is Wednesday evening as we are recording this. Uh, mm-hmm. 9 o'clock p.m. Chicago time. The Cubs are in game seven of the World Series. So I might periodically are, pause when, I, when I hear my neighbors. Uh, it, is, it is a baseball team. Uh, baseball Cubs is, is a baseball. sport that is played in the United <laughs> States. Uh, and as and so Cubs are Chicago. Yes. As loyal listeners may know, I live in Chicago. Uh, and in ah, particular, I apparently live in a neighborhood that is full of baseball fans. So I will periodically probably pause because i hear people screaming every time they score in fact they just scored a few moments ago um do i know that because i watched the score i do not i know that because i heard people yelling oh wow Um, but it just takes me back to remember the early days in linear digressions when the cubs were not the cubs cheese the giants were in the world series and we did that yeah that's right it was themed about like wow the world series goes to game seven disproportionately and then we released it like four weeks later or something and it it, it, everybody everybody listening was like yeah i know how this turns out and we're of course the only clueless ones uh right which is what's happening right now obviously because by the time this comes out on sunday uh everyone will know who won the world series but but not good for the cubbies right now all right yeah we don't know right now this is this is a time capsule here we're not talking about baseball, or sorry, we're not talking about, yeah, we're not talking about baseball. We're talking about chess today. Yes, um, we got a different so, game. Yeah, Deep Blue is, uh, that was a chess playing computer that was um, built in the 90s, and it actually won its first game against a world champion, uh, Gary uh, Kasparov, in 1996 in game one of a six-match, uh, a six-game six match. Uh, later on, it actually managed to win enough games to win the entire set. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the first, probably like the first really prominent case of a computer beating a human at one of these games that, uh, you know, computer scientists had thought was uh, a, a game that computers could beat humans at, right? So now we have AlphaGo and we have Watson and... Who knows, maybe there's other stuff that's in the pipeline. But Deep Blue was a pretty interesting proof of principle that this could even happen. And the thing that's kind of interesting about it, and I think that most people don't appreciate, is number one, we should talk a little bit about how programs like this work. Um, We've talked about it a little bit within the context of AlphaGo and stuff like that, but it's interesting and it's worth chatting about. And then the second thing that's kind of fun that people don't appreciate is that in retrospect, and this wasn't figured out until years later, it looks like Deep Blue might have won kind of because of a bug, which is a really interesting twist on the story that no one knew at the time. So we should get to that too. Definitely. So we should start, though, by exploring how a computer will solve a game like chess. And this is really similar if you've been listening to the podcast for long enough. We did a few episodes on AlphaGo, which is the Go playing algorithm a while back. And uh, chess is pretty similar to, to Go 
in the sense that you have a certain number of, you have this board, it's got a bunch of different spaces on it. Each side is moving pieces around on the board. And you can hypothetically enumerate all the different states that the board can be in. And from that, you can say, okay, if the board is in this state, what is the optimal next move that I can make? Right. In other words, you just do a deep search through every possible move. And then from every possible move to the next possible move, et cetera, deeper and deeper and deeper. Of course, the problem is that that's uh, some sort of an exponential function uh, exponential-ish function, and it gets really, really, those numbers get really, really big really fast. Yeah, so in Go, there's something like, it's a 19 by 19 board, and so there's all that many spaces, and um, and then the size of the, of the board starts to get reduced as you have more and more uh, pieces that are on the board, because there aren't as many places where you can put new pieces, but in order to make optimal moves, you have to look down, like you said, sort of this game tree of all the next moves that you can make and then all the next moves that your opponent can make in response to them and then all the third moves that you could make in response to that. And when you have a high multiplicity of states, that is to say many different moves that you can make at any one of those points, it becomes computationally very challenging to multiply out all of those options. In fact, in large part, you can't multiply out all of those options. And you have to start coming up with ways to summarize all that information and to search through it very efficiently. And that's the same problem that you have with chess. Uh, chess has a little bit of a simpler case because the board is smaller and you're not introducing new pieces. If anything, you're removing them as you go. I guess there's a little bit of an extra complication that in chess, you have different types of pieces that have different types of legal moves and that also have sort of different implicit values. But in general, the same idea holds in chess that there's this very large state space that you have to search through. And on the based on the results of that search, you're going to be sort of playing the optimal next move. Um, you were kind of alluding to the maximum number of legal positions in Go, and that, that just forced me. I just had to look it up. Um, and it's estimated to be about two times 10 to the 170. And there's uh, also an estimation that the number of atoms in the observable universe is 10 to the 80. So 10 to the 80 versus 10 to the 170, like it's, it's a tremendous number of possible moves and definitely not something you could possibly enumerate. Chess does have few, like far, far fewer moves than Go, but it's still a similarly huge number. Yeah, and especially when you're thinking about attacking this with 90s era computational tools. <laughs> and in fairness, you know, IBM saw this for the <laughs> for the marketing opportunity that it was, and they built some hardware that was, um, I think, to the extent practical, customized a little bit to the exact problem. The other thing that was kind of cool was that when they were building it, they knew that Deep Blue was eventually going to play Gary Kasparov, who was this grandmaster who was at the top of his game then. And so they had the advantage of when they were training Deep Blue, um, helping it focus on the types of the types of moves and the style of play that Gary Kasparov said, or that Gary Kasparov did rather. Um, so the idea is basically that it wasn't just any chess playing algorithm; it was this chess playing computer that was specifically designed for this exact task, which I think also mm. helped them a little bit focus their efforts. So what happens when Gary Kasparov and, and Deep Blue actually get into the match? So they were playing, as you said at the beginning, they had a number of 
of games. What was the number? Was it six or seven six. or something? Yeah, they had six games, I think. Okay. So they, and then, I don't know what happens if it's three to three, but let's, maybe there's some way that you can say at the end if there's ties it's, or something. Yeah, it was uh, Kasparov won three and drew two of the of the five games after the one that Deep Blue won. So uh, Kasparov beat Deep Blue by a score of four to two. Oh, but this uh, was in 96 though, right? Sorry, that yeah, that was 96. Oh, but they played again in 97 and Kasparov lost. That's the one I'm talking about. Right. And um, Kasparov lost three and a half to two and a half. And uh, by the way, the way that they count that is if you win, you get one point, And if you get a draw, you get half a point. Ah, okay. Sure. But the point is, yeah, so they're playing multiple, they're multiple, playing multiple games. And the thing that's kind of interesting about chess and that I'm not sure I can really speak to, but I appreciate it a little bit, is how much chess is a game where you are trying to get inside the other person's head. And there's a lot of these, like, this psych out aspect to, um, you know, messing with your opponent. And it's not just about whether you're playing good moves, it's whether you are convincing your opponent that you're winning. And, mm-hmm. and I think that this is an important part of the game to appreciate when there's grandmasters who are playing against each other but obviously a computer doesn't have that uh, advantage or disadvantage right it can't be intimidated and it also can't be maybe well, extra aggressive it, it can't take can't... advantage of the mental state of its opponent right I, I was just gonna say it can't intentionally be intimidating but frankly if i was if i was facing off against uh, a machine at a game like this I would feel a little intimidated just because uh, it's kind of foreign, you know? Like, if I'm a grandmaster at chess, I've spent my entire chess career facing off against humans of varying abilities, but this is potentially a completely new thing. Well, yeah, and I think that that that's something that's important to keep in mind in this story, is that if you're you're a a chess grandmaster, you probably have a fairly high opinion of yourself. And you probably also understand the game a lot and you can sort of see undertones in in moves in a way that I imagine then you, when you watch someone play chess, you can appreciate maybe in a way that you and I can't as lay people, you can appreciate the spirit of what it is they're trying to do and that maybe the game is a little bit less mystical to you as uh, as a grandmaster just because you can see all the options on the board and then when someone takes one of those options you say oh I see what they're going for we're playing the aggressive game or we're playing the conservative mm. game and it demystifies it a little bit in that respect that you can interpret what's going on perhaps and so this brings me to the thing that that I was thinking about when I was talking about the the bug that we now in retrospect think might have happened. So Kasparov, I'm, t- I'm thinking now of the time that they played in 1997. So the place where this ends is with Kasparov losing. And the way that it starts is that they're playing their first match and they get near the end of the game and Deep Blue makes this really weird move that Kasparov doesn't quite understand. And when you're in a situation like that and you're very, and you're someone like Kasparov, right? Someone who really understands the game, then there are sort of two places where your head can go because you're looking for an explanation of what just happened when the computer makes this weird move. And here are the two explanations that you can come up with. Number one, or these are rather the two explanations that he came up with. Mm -hmm. Number one is this computer 
can see through to an end game that is further ahead than what I can see. So Kasparov is looking at the board and he's like, I see the ways that this can end up, you know, if it makes this move, then this is going to happen. If it makes that move, then that is going to happen. Wait, it's making this other weird move. Maybe it's going for this other end game that's sort of so far in the distance that I have no idea what it's even going for right now. And this, this algorithm is intimidatingly smart and I'm about to be blown out of the water here. Right. So what does it know that I don't know? Right. Second explanation is maybe somebody's messing with it. So deep blue is... Like a human. Yes, exactly. So deep blue is supposed to be entirely autonomous. Um, Like in between games, there was the possibility of of the um, computer scientists going in and tuning things up and making minor adjustments and things like that. But while it's playing, there's no human interference. But of course, you know, you have all these cords that are going into the back of it and it would be really hard to say for sure if you couldn't, for example, like look at the logs of, of the machine to say that there wasn't the possibility of somebody sitting in a closet somewhere who tells it to do this weird off the wall thing and that that's why it did it. So that's the second option is that there's cheating going on. Either one of these options, you can see how it gets inside of your head as, uh, as the human, right? And the explanation that Kasparov came up with basically at the time was that he thought that, that IBM had been cheating and that there was someone in the back, in the back room, ostensibly, who, who played this weird move and he got really, really psyched out about it and was, um, you know, insisting that that something very weird was going on mm-hmm. and he ended up and losing I mean, the match, or, you know, the series. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's not entirely an off the wall uh, theory to have. I mean, like IBM has incentives beyond just winning the match for winning the match. I mean, they want their stock to go up. They want their technology to kind of be respected and, and shown that it can do things that are, uh, that are novel and, you know, groundbreaking, I guess, historical. There's also that third explanation that Kasparov did not bring up, uh, that it was just a bug in Deep Blue software. Right. And this is where we're actually going with this. So I should also say that this is this story didn't come out until years later. So Kas- we this now have information. Yeah, we now have information that Kasparov didn't have at the time. And I'm taking my version of this story from uh, a chapter in Nate Silver's book. Uh, the the signal and and the noise. And I think there's also sort of some uh, summarized versions of this story that you can find online as well. But the, the answer is basically this. So the idea of these algorithms is they're supposed to make these big trees that simulate all the different ways that the, or well, maybe not simulate, but model all the different ways that the game can go. And each of those trees will have some metric that you can calculate this as how good does it look like our odds are of winning if we go down this branch. And usually those probabilities are then going to be to give you, uh, you know, the information about which of these branches you should go down. You just pick the thing that has the most favorable probability for you to win. And usually those probabilities are not going to be 50-50. And so, you know, you just calculate the probabilities, you go with the higher one. But if something goes wrong in that process, or I suppose it if you get very unlucky and you get exactly 50% on each side and you don't have a way of breaking that tie, then the computer can get stuck. And it says, basically, I don't know which of these branches to take. And then 
you need to have some kind of fail safe underneath so that the computer doesn't become just paralyzed totally. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in the case of deep blue, it, you know, if it figures out that it's in one of these locked up states, it basically plays a random move. Uh, Cause what else can you do in that case? Really? And in retrospect, you know, after talking with some of the people at IBM, it sounds like this might have been what Deep Blue actually did in that one move, that it uh, it had this bug. Like, it, it wasn't actually that it didn't know what to do. It was just that the calculation went wrong somehow. And so it thought it didn't know what to do. So it plays this random move. And the thing that's funny about it is this is exactly supposed to be the place where the computer has a lot of advantages because it can do this big tree search and figure out what's uh, tactically the best move to make based on all these probabilities and things like that. And it's not supposed to be making these emotional decisions, but then it turns out that the computer actually fails, right? The algorithm doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So it does this random off the wall thing that wasn't actually a particularly good move. If you think about it, because why would a random move be a good move, (laughs) but it accomplishes exactly the sort of thing that a computer is not supposed to be that good at, which is psyching out its opponent, because <laughs> Kasparov gets all messed up as a result of this. It's and funny. arguably that's the reason that Deep Blue won. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So I guess what I'm I'm taking from this is that in games like this, the algorithm is what gets you pretty much most of the way through, but that human touch or that human element, that psyching the opponent out element, uh, I mean. If, so if I was trying to psych someone out and I had the choice between two moves and one is the obvious move, maybe I'll choose the inferior move in order to make the opponent think that I know something I don't, I didn't. And so in this case, Deep Blue made a move like that and unintentionally psyched out a chess grandmaster. That's kind of cool. It's also interesting to see how far we've, I guess, how far we've come, right? We were talking about the differences between chess and Go earlier on and uh, a little bit about how much more complicated Go is than chess uh, computationally. And if you want more on this, we have a podcast about AlphaGo, which we covered maybe six months ago or nine months ago. Yeah, sometime in the spring. Yeah, so it's it's also really cool to me to, to think of what we were doing in the 90s and now what we're doing in the, in, what is this decade anyway? The aught tens? No, the tens. The yeah. Ben, I'm going to stop you right now. Not because this isn't fascinating and stuff. It's because I, I said aughts. No, it's because I just heard <laughs> people outside yelling and I want to go check on the score. Okay. <laughs> All right. You go check on the score. Uh, do you want to wager on who's going to win this game? The Cubs Indians? You against all of our listeners. <laughs> and the bet will be resolved at the release time of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a bad deal for me. That's Information asymmetry, deal. that is not a situation you want to be in while wagering money. All right, sounds good. Well, maybe you go watch the game and... Uh, go Cubs! Yeah, I sure, go Cubs. <laughs> Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at linear
lynnfreshimpressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.